Okay, so some feedback on the Woman King episode from a medical perspective, from someone who used to work as a doctor in Australia, but doesn't work as a doctor anymore. So about the whole taking pulses thing, it's been recognised, at least in Australia, that it's really, really hard for people with no medical training to actually know whether they're feeling a pulse or not. It's actually kind of hard for medical people too. So that's been completely scrapped uh, from the first aid recommendations. You just go straight to CPR if someone's not breathing. The other thing um, I wanted to mention was that hospitals and medical practices do have lists of everyone who's died or been injured. They have meetings about it generally on a monthly basis. However, that's obviously information that wouldn't normally be accessible at all to any members of the public. You cannot play God then wash your hands of the things that you've created. Sooner or later, the day comes when you can't hide from the things that you've done anymore. Welcome back to another week of Beers, Beats and Battlestar Galactica, where we, your hosts, Kaylee and Lisa, take you through the sci-fi original series, Battlestar Galactica, episode by episode. And this is a good one. It is. Yay. It's about fracking time. I kind of forgot how good this episode was. You were asking me about it and I was like, I, it's it's chief heavy and it's a one-off. Yeah. I think it's going to be a disappointment. And Look. no, it's lovely. And you know why I think partially it's lovely why because jane espenson's one of the writers of course that's my girl jane always and it's uh it's two women who wrote this episode and coffle saunders who wrote pegasus she wrote the season two finale she wrote torn which i think was like fine um i mean all i remember from that episode is, is us that, singing natalie it, well exactly that's yeah. the important takeaway <laughs> and jane's back and she'll be back again in the future and a brand new director for this one, Wayne Rose, who worked on the show as an AD. And they nice. were like, you get yourself an episode, buddy. And he, I think he did a great job. Yeah, I think And so does great. Ronald D. Moore. Yes. So this is season three, episode 16, Dirty Hands. Yes. And I've got to just state out front that I still don't like how much Cheryl is in it. No, I'm... This... This would have been way better if we hadn't just spent a terrible episode with Tyrrell yes. last fracking week. Didn't need didn't need any of that. And it would have made this episode much more enjoyable. For sure. Yeah. But overall. Good episode. Solid. Lots solid. Of themes. Still kind of a, still kind of a one off, but it felt a little more like the things happened in the past and mm. things are happening in the future and we're telling a story. Yes. Yeah. And also, I feel like it's actually very meaty in terms of themes whereas i feel like for weeks we've sort of had like not that much to talk about or like really basic themes like don't murder people with medicine correct whereas this is like quite complicated and i think it does a really great job of demonstrating the different sides of this situation and the positions that people are in yeah i think it's excellent world building and i'm excited to talk about it yeah so today i'm drinking mexican cola because I've had a bit of a cough and I don't want to have any alcohols. Uh, what are you drinking, Kaylee? Well, I was going to be drinking a beer called Nugget Nectar w- in honor of uh, our girl Celix, who's the newest nugget. Oh, my goodness. Uh, tragically, I left the cans at home. I went to another place and they had that beer. And I have a whole temporary ID situation right now. They wouldn't sell me the beer. So I've 
I've twice I missed out on having my nugget nectar. So now I have a uh, plan B farm brewery barn beer for all those farmers who got drafted into working on the Tillium ship. Yeah. And also because it was like one of six beers at the place near where Lisa lives. Yes. Well, they usually have very good beers there and they usually got cool names, but they had some cool names. Uh, it's not always what you want that day. Exactly. This is actually lovely. I'm enjoying it. It's from Poughkeepsie where I have spent a fair amount of time. Poughkeepsie, New York. Nice. Yeah. And we just had some fancy farm goat cheese as well. We still have some here. So if you hear crunching, it's because we're eating crackers you're and well, we're not sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we also have the window open for background noise. It's so pretty out today, y'all. It's like 24 degrees Celsius. It's like 75 degrees Fahrenheit. See, we're here for all everybody with our temperatures. It's so nice. <laughs> so nice that uh, I feel like our minds are a little wandery. That's today. true. Let's see how we go. Okay. A fun note. The episode title, Dirty Hands, came from the writer Ann Koffel Saunders' uh, father who worked as a printer and he always had ink on his hands. Aww. And that's she—that's who she named the episode for. That's nice. Isn't it though? So let's beat by beat. We open with this kind of like little montage of the like the deck gang doing their work. Yes. And Pollux is from the 4400. Had to shout that out. Uh, I was like, oh, I know her. I I was really enjoying Pollux's contributions to this episode. Mm-hmm. Like, who's Pollux? Mm. I don't remember. Like, she hasn't been in it before. I don't or think. at least not prominently featured before. No, I feel like at that time because I when was the, I think the forty four hundred was before this, so she would have had enough TV experience that you'd sort of expect she wouldn't just be in the background before a featured extra yeah, who got yeah. a promotion. Yeah, I think she was a person who they. Yeah. Nice. Know. Yeah. No, I, I like Pollux. I'm glad she's on board. Me too. So Celix has a laundry delivery. Ugh. Yeah. This moment. There's a lot of fracks written in my notes of this, although she was completely valid in her response. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So mm. we get the first joke from, uh, uh, what's his face? Figurski. Figurski. It's like, oh, you fooled my undies the way I like. Yeah. And she tells him to frack off. Which is appropriate. And he asks, like, oh, you can't talk that way when you're an officer. You're going to have to. Have you met officers? That's that's that word that comes out of their mouth like Correct. every other word. We count them every episode. We do. Starbuck has the most. She's fairly high rank. Yeah. But yeah, she drops some information that uh, she's not going to get her wings, guys. It's very sad. She's in a critical position being what she says is the best avionics specialist that they have just a classic case of being so good at your job that you don't get a promotion this mm-hmm. happens way too often and i would be willing to bet money that it happens to women mm-hmm. more often mm-hmm. yep it sure does and Fergersky can't can't leave well enough alone makes another joke about oh she folds a man's undies really well and uh she beats his ass yeah it's great it's, it's a great, great moment for our gal celix i uh, was um, made me feel good i was really angry at his comments but then really happy with the response she's like i really feel like tough works on her where like we've had characters like cat before that are supposed to be like i'm just so i'm the toughest tough girl whoever Tough. on galactica and it's like sometimes it's a little forced mm. and for celix i feel like 
I, it was very believable. Mm-hmm. She's usually real chill and quiet and kind of in the background. And I was just like, yeah, I buy your rage. I mm. buy that you attacked this guy. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'll take you apart. And I'm like, yeah, do it. Take him. Take him apart. <laughs> it's so good. She tells Chief like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go deliver some more important laundry. Yeah. My mission here is so critical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. Oh, man. So meanwhile, uh, Racetrack and Skulls, who I don't know that we've met before. Not sure. Are in their Raptor and something's going down. There's some kind of problem and they have to eject and their ship is going to crash right into Laura and Tori. And they're just peeking out the window and then it's the credits. Yeah, that's one of those moments, I think, where they're like, we could spend a ton of money showing this or Mm. we could just show the aftermath. Yeah. I think they made a fine choice. Mm. I don't need to see the ship getting... I don't need to see ships crashing into each other. It's true. Yeah. We have a survivor count. Mm-hmm. Do you want to sing it? What did we decide? We were debating between 500 miles or 1,000 miles. No, you were going to sing 1,000 miles. Okay. 41,400 survivors in space. Great. How's that? Tonight. It's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel as punchy as Rent. No, it's not as punchy. All right. We'll keep, wor- we'll keep working on it. We're still taking suggestions. Yeah. We should have been none. <laughs> I think the main suggestion is stop singing on your podcast, but we, we refuse Never. to listen to that one. <laughs> <laughs> this microphone for my cold dead hands. <laughs> so the ships crashed. Nobody died. Tori's shoulder got jacked up and Rosalind helped Cottle realign it, which I kind of would have liked to see. The end of the ship they're on now looks a lot like the end of the ship they were on before. (laughs) (laughs) Except the camera's facing a different way. (laughs) (laughs) I think they went out of their way to like empty the room Mm. previously and now it's a crowded room. Mm -hmm. But it might be the same room. Uh, Likely, (laughs) I would say. And yeah, Rosalind's talking about how like cramped it's going to be and she's going to be in this uh, in this part of the ship forever. And Adama's got a little invite for her. Uh-huh. uh-huh. He says, well, you're always welcome in one of my beds. One of my beds. And then he's like, sort of, oh, like, what does he say? He says something after that's very in a, suggestive. Like in a manner of speaking. Oh, yeah. In a matter of speaking yeah. or something like that. Yes, Adama. Like they're not and even then, trying to hide it. No. And then the camera's just like going between them, like looking at each other significantly. It's great. I loved that. Mm-hmm. So then they have a very sexy discussion about Zeno Fenner, the chief on the refinery ship. Yes. Oh, I have a note here from the ship when it was like bucking. Because <laughs> the ship is doing this thing and it looks exactly like a Boeing plane. But that might be a too soon joke. Oh, yeah. But yikes. that's what's written in my notes. It was like, oh, look, a Boeing plane. And then I wrote too soon. <laughs> Good one. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> people died it's really sad but also she calls them like she sees them i feel like it's kind of unlike roslyn to dismiss issues like this so like easily i Mm. feel like roslyn's usually up on nuances of situations and she's just like how dare these people complain about working conditions i have no desire to see anything from their point of view until chief tells me to yeah it's really a lot the overtime bonuses thing is interesting because I didn't realize they were still using currency. 
Yeah, it seems still iffy about like who is receiving some sort of pay. Because like everybody obviously has a place to live. Yeah, and, and not everyone has a food. job. Yeah. And not I think not everyone could have a job if they wanted one. Mm. So like, yeah, what I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they say necessarily money. I think they say overtime bonuses. So maybe they're thinking of other, oh. other bonuses that they get, like extra rations or whiskey. It seems that, like there's a lot that of That makes more sense. There's whiskey for days. Yeah. That's my headcanon anyway. <laughs> I want some whiskey if I work overtime. You always I, just I want whiskey. <laughs> I know. I want whiskey on my day off. I want whiskey all the time. Uh, they have this little beat where they're whispering about the road to earth. And, uh, why are they whispering? I think it was just an actor choice. <laughs> I think it was just a choice the actors made and they were like, Oh yeah, do it. Yeah. Uh, or it's supposed to be like a secret conversation cause it's about earth and okay. they're still being really squirrely about it. I don't think the fleet know. I don't think the whole fleet knows that Adama doesn't know where earth is still. Like oh, some okay. people know. Interesting. It was a, it was an interesting little beat. I didn't mm. mind it really. No, but I was it like, just, it would, the whispering went on a little longer it did. than and it I, needed to maybe. For sure. And I was like, did I miss something? Why are they whispering? Yeah. Just actors being actors. Okay. Uh, but Adama's that. like, Oh, have I ever doubted? The world It's <laughs> <laughs> very cheeky little moment. So they have this meeting with Zeno Fenner. It seems like they've got enough fuel to like jump the fleet once or twice if the Cylons show up, which they still have not for some time now. And I feel like Zeno makes a good point. Like, yeah, I think if, my we, note, yeah. if the gas is flowing, you don't return my calls. Yeah, I was like, my literal note is he seems like a bit of a dick, but he has a point. Yeah, all of that is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that going on in this episode. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, well spend some more time with some other dicks Mm -hmm. as we continue speaking of we have a quote here from the book if you hear the people you'll never have to fear the people (laughs) the book the mere mention of with of which causes rosalind to ask for this man's arrest yeah uh, for extortion and interrupting vital services in a time of war which seems a bit extreme Mm -hmm. they take him away Adama asks about it and we find out that Baltar is writing a book. It's so ridiculous. And also the name of it, it just sounds like a far right manifesto. Mm -hmm. Like my triumphs are mistakes. Elliot Rogers manifesto was called my twisted life. Yeah. Well, uh, so Ronald D. Moore on the podcast for this episode was talking about like, we were trying to figure out what Gaius is doing in jail and decided like, oh, he's writing Mein Kampf. Mm. Yeah, that's much. exactly what he said. My Triumphs, My Mistakes by Gaius Baltar. Yes. Rosalind wants to have a book burning. It's all great. It's. I mean, the person in me, because this is something that has happened with terrorists before in prison. They've gone to prison and like written a book. Like Sayyid Qutb did that, who's like a Muslim Brotherhood ideological thinker, wrote like heaps of stuff in prison. So yeah, it's a thing. Interesting. But I thought it just sounded so much. I was like, that just sounds so much like Elliot Rogers, like my twisted world. Then I was looking up other names of different far right manifestos, but oh, yeah, wow. I went down a rabbit hole. That's a that's an intense mm. internet. Wormhole, I always yeah. I always go down those wormholes. <laughs> yes, what the internet is good for. <sighs> Chief and Kelly again having their weird coupley thing. I think she's trying to get him to diet. 
Uh, I'm so exhausted by them. Mm-hmm. Chief notices that Callie's a little worse than she was yesterday, and she's like, oh, I'm tense because of Celix. I'm tense because of Celix. Yeah, I knew that was coming. Hey. Yeah. Callie's discussions about this manifesto are so different when you consider the Nexium thing. Right, though? Okay, so I feel like... So this story is still evolving and I think there's going to be more opportunity to talk about it later. But if you if y'all want to hear a story about a wacky cult for rich people or people who are convinced to spend a lot of money they didn't have. Mm -hmm. There's a great podcast called Uncover, the first season of which is Escaping Nexium, which is the cult that the actress from Smallville just today pleaded guilty mm. to the charges also known as nikki klein's wife yeah and i think that is some sort of like not necessarily a love marriage but a something of a green card marriage but nikki klein was is married to El, is it allison mack mm. is that her name yeah yeah nikki klein got involved in this cult uh as did grace park i'm not sure the degree of their involvement but it seems like nikki klein was in pretty deep mm. and yeah it's pretty it's a little wild the character and actor parallels mm. that we're seeing in this scene yeah and actually the deleted scenes of this episode are all callie and Tyrrell. And it's all Callie berating Terrell about needing to stand up and do something. She, there's one of them uh, where she's basically like the person who inspires the strike. So, and then the other one is that scene when they're in bed together later, it's her talking about Baltar and then having a go at him for not standing up for the little guy. And it actually changes a lot because when I first watched it through, I was super annoyed that Callie was like taking the heat for this when like later in the episode, mm, like Adam yeah. was like, oh, we've got her. She's like a ringleader. And it looks like, oh, like why the fuck would Callie be punished for Tyrrell's shit? But actually like this scene, there's like two more like it that were deleted where it's her being like, you need to stand up. You need to do this. Like, she's just like behind the scenes, like making him make these choices. That is interesting. So do you think it, uh, do you prefer the episode with those scenes added? It's definitely, I, I prefer the outcome of Callie being put up against the firing squad. If she is the instigator, actually, like what annoyed me about this. And like, actually, even if that's the case, like Adama doesn't necessarily know that. What annoyed me when I first watched it through was the fact that she was being blamed for Tyrrell's actions and, like, she was the one who was going to get killed. And it's, like, the second time that Callie's... It's been, like, oh, but Callie... And it's, like, fuck's sake. Mm -hmm. I do kind of wish that what they'd done is if Callie is the instigator, I kind of wish she'd just been the instigator. Wouldn't that as be opposed nice to instead going of through another Tyrrell. episode mm. about this white guy that we're very sick of? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I just think I would have, yeah, definitely preferred to have her just be the one who's like, no, we're going on strike. And this was another one of those episodes that was supposed to be very decentric. So now we've got two women who we've been wanting more from mm. who were cut in one way or another from mm-hmm. this episode, mm. which uh, I find upsetting. Mm. This was one of the episodes in the abandoned Sagittarian storyline that okay. was going to be somehow involved in the finale. And uh, I think they said this was the episode where they were like, no, we have to abandon that. It's not working. And okay. they rewrote this episode. And I think they actually rearranged the season a little bit. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. Interesting. It is interesting. I would have liked some more meat for Callie because she still seems like she's just here to support Chief. Yeah. Chief's storyline in this episode. I would have definitely, I think, preferred the other scenes. But yeah, I just I just think it would have been a better world if Callie was the one being like. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been amazing. Mm -hmm. I know they had this previous storyline where Chief was the whatever on New Caprica. Mm -hmm. But like Mm -hmm. you guys aren't that strict about your yeah <laughs> but also she was up on stage with him in the she was in the, and like, now flashbacks. she's got her book to mm. t- to light a fire under her ass so yep. sh- she would be more motivated mm. i d- we th- there's every episode recently has been about a boring white guy mm-hmm. and i'm over it and maybe that'll end next week i don't know <laughs> Well, next fortnight for us. Next fortnight. We're taking a week off because I'm going to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then we'll be back. Yes. Full force. Mm-hmm. All right. We get a little backstory about which colonies were considered rich and poor. So it's like Caprica, Virgon, and Toron They're are the ones. the earth signs also. Oh, interesting. So I was really interested by this because I know that I'm not a big star sign person. Mm-hmm. But I know that because... Most of my family are earth signs. We're all like um, Capricorn, Virgo, and Taurus. So they're all earth signs. And then the next two they mention are Aelon and Sagittarium, which are both fire signs. And then she throws on Geminon, which is an air sign. But it's funny how they like kind of categorize together. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So I texted a friend of mine who's super into astrology Mm -hmm. during The Woman King. And I never actually... Uh, read what we talked about on air but I was I wanted to find out about like Sagittarius mm-hmm. personality traits to see yep. if it linked up with Sagittarians and what I sent her was like basically in this episode Sagittarians are like fiercely independent mistrusting of others but super loyal to their own and she sent me a lot about how Sagittarians are like she says super fiery and spirited Sag- Sagittarius, or Sagittarius mm-hmm. have zero time for bullshit. If they have something <laughs> to say, they'll say it. But basically, like, if they care for you, they shoot down the stars for you. It, it seemed like there was some overlap in her interpretation of, like, what Sagittarius personalities are and what Sagittarians are depicted as on the show. So if any of our listeners are, like, super into astrology, this is something I'm interested in exploring mm, further. For sure. Um, it's definitely, I just thought, like, I, I. it's only because I knew that they were all Earth signs that I was like, that's interesting that they put them together I wonder if that was on purpose it seems like it must be on purpose that they've done that and I wonder if there's like some kind of connection so please let us know if you yeah. know audio clips are great we, we haven't heard anything them. from Ronald D. Moore about like if they put thought mm. into creating the different colonies like very specifically based on different signs even though they're obviously kind of loosely named after them that's very fascinating mm-hmm. hmm. all right Callie says that D only got promoted because she married Adama, which was not true. She got promoted before she married Adama. Mm-hmm. But I think she was still like, that's when they were kind of half secretly dating. Apollo. But like you oh, said, Adama. Yeah. Sorry, yes. And we know that she really wants to marry Adama. True. Mm. Uh, yeah, I said what was in her heart. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Chief gets a call from Adam Sr. who sends him to the refinery now that Zeno Fenner has been arrested. Callie's not happy about it. She brings up the union again from New Caprica and Chief's like, oh, that's 
that's long over now. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, we've got uh, a little raid going on in Guys' cell. Oh my god, the sexual tension in this scene is so much. So there is a whole debate, apparently, where in the script it was written that Rosalind stands there while they strip him completely naked before (laughs) they find the papers. And it was apparently the actors who came out against that and were like, no, guys would cave at some point and wouldn't let himself be humiliated. And also Rosalind like wouldn't want it to go that far either. So the actors... I don't know, like the eye contact they were making, it felt like Baltar would totally have let them take off all his clothes. Right? Um, Uh, Maybe he was just tired of being paraded around Galactica in the giant penis. I guess the last time he was Lucy Lawless lost her ship on the the base star. Yeah, there's video of that somewhere on the internet, and I I think we have to wait until the end of season three because it's a blooper reel for season three. Oh, okay. Where there's actual footage of Lucy Lawless seeing James Callis's penis for the first time. What? It exists. Can you not just take seen it. that bit for me and then just cut? I don't know how to do that with okay. YouTube videos, but I could probably send you an exact time to watch it. And then just watch that one bit and then just, okay. <laughs> I'll watch through it again and see if it's, it's spoilery. I can't remember, but stay tuned. Great. I just have like in my notes, just eye contact in capital mm-hmm. letters is so good yeah there's it's such a power move too mm-hmm. to like just stare someone down where other people are doing your bidding free like she doesn't have to move a muscle she's mm. not stripping him mm-hmm. she, like she's just standing there mm-hmm. but they're doing her bidding and then when he's just stares at her and he just puts his hand in his pants i was like and like six his hand is also wow. there there's a lot going on there's so much like it was just <laughs> a lot but uh, she could. She tells him that no one's read the book but her because they intercepted the lawyer who was smuggling out the papers. Mm. And she's like, I'm dying to see how it ends. Mm-hmm. The banter is great. The banter's great. It's pretty fracking typical of Gaius to suddenly want to appeal to the common man mm-hmm. after like, oh, I've been hiding my identity for so long because I wanted to be elite. Mm. And now that it's the the next power grab I can make yeah. is for the little guy. Yeah, yeah. So suddenly I'm the common man again. Mm-hmm. Pretty classic guy. Typical. He asked her to write a blurb for the back cover. It's pretty funny. <laughs> and they leave him in the cell just like pulling up his pants very yeah, sadly, it, which I think achieves the humiliation that Ronald D. Moore was looking for yeah, in the I original think so. script. Mm. It does look pretty pathetic. The refinery is just ex- excited that they're getting a visit from good old <laughs> Chief Terrell. The set for this is actually pretty cool. It's apparently a sugar factory. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, it How seems sweet. like it must be. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it must have been a real factory in that they certainly would have not built a set that complicated mm. for what I think is just one episode. <laughs> I don't think we're going to spend a ton of time on the refinery in the future. I mean, why would we with all these lower class folks? Spoiler alert. <laughs> We've got to get back to Leah Dama <laughs> and his new career. Yeah. Oh, Lordy. Who is the guy who's giving this tour? Cabot is the new, new like HBIC at the sugar factory. <laughs> um, he tells Chief that like the whole ship is just kind of like an atom bomb waiting to go off. We meet Milo. 
11-year-old Milo, who is the best grease jockey on the ship. Is he 11 or 12? He says 12. Almost. Oh, okay. (laughs) Milo is also, well, of course, there's the adorable Milo and Otis that we love. Everybody loves Have you watched that movie as an adult? No. It's a little weird as an adult to be like, they just put a kitten in a box and sent it down the river. That they just did that, and okay. there's nobody around within the shot. Okay, that's a lot. That's a lot. I might have to rewatch it. It's also the name of a chocolate malt drink in Australia. Hmm. I think they've got it in other countries too, but it's like Australia, New Zealand. Yeah, oh, I want that. You want it? I want it. You can't get it here. I mean, probably you can. I mean, you can get it. I can get it. You can get anything in yeah. New York City. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> So Milo's like, hey, this machine's not going to work and leaves Chief to figure out that the pressure seals are all missing. They say if conditions improve and they let Zeno out of jail, then, uh, well, those pressure seals might just turn up. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what's going on there. Adama accuses them of sabotage and Chief is trying to argue for them. Rosalind's like, oh, do you think they're having any fun in the algae processing plant or munitions or waste processing? There's a lot of bad jobs. Mm. There's a lot of dirty jobs in this fleet. A lot of dirty hands even. Mm, You could say. You could say. Yeah, extortion as a form of protest is a very interesting thing. And it is very, I guess, in some ways similar but different to like the kind of motivations for terrorism. Like Mm. it's all about like when the common man woman whatever when the common person doesn't have power they have to use whatever's at their disposal to try and get their voices heard and so this is this is tactically quite similar to terrorism in terms of like they're putting lives at jeopardy and stuff Mm, i thought that was interesting anyway do you think it's justified in this case i think that this episode does a really amazing job of showing both sides of it i mean rosan and armor and all of the power people are making really tough decisions and they, their job is really hard. But they are living with a certain amount of, like, luxury at the end of the day. Adama's quarters are huge. <laughs> Rosalind's got, like, He's got all the scotch and, he needs. Yeah, and... for sure. So I get it from the worker's perspective. And I think that working people into the ground like that, I mean, it's obviously not good. That being said, obviously they need these things to be done. But I think the point Tyrrell makes at the end, which is that the people from the richer colonies aren't doing that those kind of things. And it does seem like there are a lot of people not doing stuff and training programs would be a more equitable rate, way to run things. Yeah. But I don't know. It's, it's a complicated situation. I can see both sides. I don't know how I would feel if push came to shove. Yeah, it seems like things shouldn't have gotten this bad. And, but there were other priorities, so yeah. no one was paying attention to this refinery. But I mean, like, also look at America. I mean, this is how this country runs too. And so I think that's what, it, it's not as explicit as what's happening here, but like there is an underclass in this country and it's really stark. And like you and I both have worked or work in the restaurant industry at points in this country. And like, there is a very distinct breakdown of what kinds of people are in which jobs in a restaurant. Yeah. And you can see that at every single restaurant that you go to. And it's wild to me. Um, we don't have it. I mean, obviously, Australia is not without issues, but like it's not as stark as this as it is here. And it's definitely like a particular kind of person is going to be the porter. Or a particular like kind of person is going to be the cook. And then there'll be like the people at the front of the house and then the people who are doing like busing and barbacking in the front of the house and it's really like a system like that here and it is hard to get out of it even though 
you know, there's this American dream that there's a lot of choice. I was talking to someone the other day about this because a lot of Australians who come over here come over here with a pretty big amount of wealth. And a lot of people who travel to New York come over with like, you know, money saved or whatever. People say like, oh, I love New York. And you're like, well, which New York though? Like which New York do you love? It's a different city when you're poor here. And so I think that this episode, it's not too far removed from what our reality is anyway. And also poor people made this city great. It Mm -hmm. was people who had no money who created this like vibrant, thriving, like art scene that New York is still capitalizing off of now. And Mm -hmm. it's unrecognizable to people who were here like 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really good. I think that um the idea of the colonies like this, I think it, there's heaps of books and movies and stuff that go into this kind of idea, like the Hunger Games. They have the twelve districts, and mm-hmm. um, it always seems to be twelve, or <laughs> well, like they have thirteen, I guess technically in the Hunger Games. But right, it's like yeah, well, the and then there's a whole thing about the thirteenth tribe. Yeah, yeah, this, so. exactly. It's kind of yeah. yeah, same, same. But like, I feel like there's a lot of books that go into this kind of similar thing where you've got the people in particular countries, and it's like the world. We can call it America. It's easy to say that because we're both here. But like, the world exists. The world works like that too. Mm-hmm. The whole world works like that our global economy works like that so um yeah yeah and i don't think that you could justifiably call like adama or roslin racist or classist um but they're operating under these systems that you have to fight really hard to break and they're just not fighting they're just allowing the status quo to exist as it is yeah which I is mean, it's something that i do see in the restaurant industry it's like i don't think the people i work for are making hiring decisions based on race they hire the people that walk in the door but there is a system that says certain people walk in the door for certain jobs and no one's fighting to change that and also there's no way to move up in the restaurant industry here so it's there's not like not. somebody comes on as a porter And you're like, okay, well, if you're working really hard here for like a year, then we're going to train you up to be this thing. And like, then there's no, like, I always kind of wondered that because in Australia, at least like if you're working as a runner, if you're working as a bar back and like, we don't have as many of those roles. Usually if you're a waiter or a bartender, you're kind of doing everything. But if you're doing that job, it's because you're working your way up to being the next thing. So it's not like you're going to be stuck in that role. It's like, oh, I'm doing this job because I want to become this. And so I'm going to put in my time and then I move up. And it's hilarious that in a country where it's like, oh, you just put in the time and then you can be whatever you want to be. In that industry, at least, there's no opportunity for growth. And I see that in a lot of different situations where and it is it's like I think this is why quotas are great, because it's not that anybody's actively trying to exclude anybody. It's just that. You have people who look a certain way who fill particular roles and the people who are hiring for those roles are those same people. It's it's just it's just when you change the makeup of that, that's when things start to change. And I think this illustrates like the way that they talk about it here. It's a conversation I've had so many times with people who come from privileged backgrounds about what inequality actually is and what it means. It's not that poor people don't have enough money. It's not that they don't 
have enough of whatever. It's like this whole big thing of like what their parents do and how that influences the way that they'll come into a job interview or the amount of money they think they should earn or the kinds of positions that they think they'll go for or what colleges they think they can go to. Like it's a whole big thing. So I think this episode is great for that. Yeah, they do a great job later of talking about like, yeah, like you're you're a little bit trying to solve these problems based on like, oh, we're going to hire people based on their skills. But the skills you have are very much based on where you were born, what kind of family you were born into, what educational opportunities you had. Like it's very hard to break out of that kind of system. Absolutely. Yeah. I like this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Chief can't sleep. He's, uh, he gave up the name of just Cabot in the previous scene. Didn't tell them like 11 year old Milo, he's the troublemaker. But now I think he's tossing and turning and feeling guilty. Well, I think this is where one of the Callie scenes was. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because they just have her like in the bed. Yeah. It kind of makes more sense when you've got her having a go at him. So she's like talking to him while he's like trying to sleep. And Mm. then he gets up and goes. So it does just completely change the episode. Okay. Yeah. Because now it's like, oh, he's like, I'm anguished. But no, (laughs) it was her being like, care more. (laughs) Yeah, that's a Mm. scene I I would have liked to Mm. see in the episode. So Cabot's got like some PTSD from being in the Cylon prison. It's really intense. He's like scratching at the walls. Mm -hmm. I think he's bleeding. Mm -hmm. He looks in really rough shape. And Chief takes this opportunity to to make Zeno give him the information. He just keeps screaming and screaming and escalating the problem until... Zeno confesses to save, to save Cabot. Yeah, great. Great yeah. people skills. I don't know what the right call was there. I feel like it wasn't Chief's responsibility to do that. Mm. They have other people to beat information out of the prisoners, surely. Mm. Uh, I guess it was supposed to show his arc in this episode. Look where he started and look where he ended up. Oh, what I care prince. so much about Tyrell's arc. <laughs> Kaylee just threw her pen on the page. <laughs> Crack me. Chief goes and gets the seals. He replaces them. He's going to start up the thing. Milo wants to do it because it's the only job on the ship he's never done. Pulls those levers, get the gets the machine moving, and Chief's looking around, and there's like a lot of kids mm, working there are. on this. Did we skip a scene with Bolta? I don't think so. Um, the, the, chief, the chief scene with Bolta? No, yeah. that's coming up. Okay. Yeah. My notes are wrong. They often are. (laughs) (laughs) We have a a scene with Chief and Rosalind uh, where he's arguing. He's starting to get into like the meat of this debate uh, where jobs are becoming inherited and how unfair that is for like especially children who are stuck on these ships. Mm. And Rosalind's just like she starts out saying, oh, this is not ideal, but it's perfectly normal. Like things have kind of always been this way. Um, But she comes around to his point of view, decides they should do a lottery of people in the fleet with some sort of relevant experience. And then we get uh, our little scene with Danny, not a farmer noon. Yes. Who I think this kid is perfect in this scene. He is. He's like a perfect kid who absolutely would have spent one summer on a farm to raise money to go be an architect. Mm. He he does a, a, an exact perfect job of like, but 
I don't want to like <laughs> he shouldn't have to and it's not fair but also he's like who do I speak to about this like can I see your manager like it's yeah. very <laughs> I mean he should have just said he had bone spurs that's the mm, general way to get I out of that, the yeah, draft yeah I hear that gets you out of anything <laughs> <laughs> I I really liked that I liked that scene on multiple levels because mm. he's not a farmer he doesn't have the experience he shouldn't be going but also, he's the one making a big stink at how unfair this is because everything in his life has always been fair. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think that the unfair thing was when, like, the whole world's ended. Well, I think at this point, we can safely say that life is not very fair and you should probably count yourself quite lucky to be alive <laughs> at all, truthfully. I mean, it, it doesn't end that well for him. Later. No, but he doesn't die. He doesn't die. He'll survive. I mean, they might not make him ha- operate heavy that machinery was anymore. The only time he'll have that was he had to work there for one day. Yep. <laughs> now he can go and you know be an architect, I guess. Yeah. yeah. He probably messed up his draw drawing oh, arm. Oh yeah. Poor mm. little buddy. Poor guy. Sorry, uh, we shouldn't be joking about it. <laughs> we can, he's a fictional character. We can joke okay. about it. How um, how do we feel about drafts and lotteries in times of war? I I mean, I'm not the one who has to make the call. And I don't, I don't ever want to be in that position, but I'm, I'm very sympathetic to those who feel that they're, they should not be drafted to fight in a war that they don't believe in. Yes. I think this is different because there's not really a choice because they're being aggressed for the most part. It doesn't seem like they have a military draft in this world. At least there's not one that we've ever heard about. I feel like in this situation, people are like want to serve. Yeah. Like it's probably, it certainly seems like it's hard to become a pilot. Mm. I'm sure there are perks to like being in the Marines. I mean, Israel have mandatory military service for two years for everybody. What's your feeling on drafts? Um, it, that's not a draft. That's everybody. Do, well, does yes. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Drafts or mandatory military service of any kind. I mean, I think mandatory military service is more fair. I don't think it should be. I like the idea of it being community service. I feel like there are countries that do it for community service. That it's like I would mandatory be mandatory community with. service for like a year or two. And it's like, don't go straight to college. You have to do mandatory service. Um, I know I have friends who've um, done service in the Israeli military and it sounds fracking awful and I would not wish that on anybody. At the end of the day, I feel like mandatory is better than draft. I feel like I don't experience operating heavy machinery. Like I feel like they should be definitely training people as opposed to being like, you know, with this kid, oh, well, bad luck for you that you worked your way works to try and get into college (laughs) we're gonna punish you for not being rich enough to just go to college um yeah so yeah i don't know how i feel about it it's it's kind of hard i i think that there are there are some things that i i would be like okay so protecting the common good is is good i think for example vaccinations should be mandatory Mm -hmm. because even though that there is obviously like a risk with any medical thing right I think that they should be mandatory because I think that you need to, as a member, like a citizen of society, protect the common good. I just don't know how far that extends for me. Like, I think you should have to, you know, pay tax. Uh, It's hard for me paying tax here because I know how much of the tax money in America goes towards supporting the big military spending that is just ridiculous. So 
I don't know how I feel about it. It's hard to say without being in that position. I think a lot of my views change because it's like a post-apocalyptic situation. I think where they land in this episode makes a lot more sense where it's like there are a lot of like cleaning jobs and low-level maintenance work that frankly there are people on all of these ships who aren't lifting a finger. I think everybody should be be pulling their weight. Yeah, there should be some sort of mandatory, like, no, you have to be the person, even if it's just like you trade out once a week, you're the person who goes around and empties the trash or something. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's wild to me that in this society of like 40,000 people, that's Mm -hmm. it. Like, that's nothing. And like, there's a society of that many people and there are people just sitting around. What? I, I think there are probably people who, like, don't know how to help. Like, the people in Dogsville, what can they do? They're on a military ship. They're corralled into this little pen. Like, mm. their living conditions are horrible. They I don't think they can just come and go off the ship. Mm. I don't think they have a role, really, on Galactica except to be looked after by people who don't want them there yeah so like i don't know that everyone has the opportunity to contribute i think Mm. if people were given opportunities to contribute they would probably feel good to help yeah i think so too time of crisis Mm -hmm. chief has a moment where he finds my triumphs my mistakes by guys balter and there's this like very angelic music that's playing in the background (laughs) it's such a bizarre moment the music in this episode is interesting there's a lot of themes we've never heard Mm -hmm. in battlestar that appear in this episode but it just there's such a holy Mm -hmm. moment (laughs) when he finds this book it's ridiculous uh so this is when he goes to talk to baltar uh, who is now in a completely bare cell with just a torn mattress. Says he's read the book, which uh, Baltar then says like, oh, so the president is an accomplished liar. <laughs> <laughs> and Chief calls him out like, you're not a farm boy from Aralon. Yes, he is. And then he becomes Jason Statham. <laughs> that is exactly how his voice sounds. Is it? I don't know why changing his accent meant that he suddenly had to be at all this husk. I feel like what he was going for is like a Cockney British accent. It sounded kind of Scottish to me. I have no idea, but he, I just like his voice all of a sudden. It scrapes the back of the throat. Yeah, yeah. It's just like all (laughs) of a sudden, it's like, that's not how accents work. And yeah, it just, to me, it was just Jason (sighs) Statham. I liked him doing it so much though that I didn't mind how like, completely like it's just it's so far from where his speech is now that, yeah, yeah yeah it seemed but not, I think that was not really point. believable no but like this is something I think we even have spoken about this before and maybe not on the podcast but like IRL about accents in class it's it's such a thing oh absolutely um, and like that's a case like in, in America in the UK a specific like the UK is huge like people go I think Buffering talked about this no it wasn't Buffering it was still pretty Lani Diane Rich's podcast about Buffy and they were talking about band candy and how Giles's accent changes yes and a lot of people go to private schools, which I think they call public schools in the UK. And I know it's it's <laughs> topsy-turvy. Um, Those terms are opposite. Yes, they are. And they learn like the Queen's English, if you will. And so people are actively try and move away from the accent, just like people here will try and go for like a TV accent. Yeah, stand, um, standard American that's English. Yeah, standard yeah. American English. Um, in Australia, it's not so bad, but there is definitely like... 
I mean, we were with Australian friends last night and one of my friends is from Brisbane. He doesn't at all sound like he's from Brisbane. And we were talking about that because he sounds definitely like he's from one of the biggest cities. And yeah, it's it's just interesting. It is. Yeah. My mom grew up in the South and she worked to get rid of her Southern accent. Mm. She's also like she was doing a lot of acting. So I think that was part of the reason why. But I also she moved to New York and I think she didn't want to be this like lost little girl from the South. Uh, oh, and fully changed her accent. Yeah. Yeah. I can feel that. I'm sick of talking about being Australian mm-hmm. uh, to random people all the time. But yeah, people change their accents quite a bit and definitely for class reasons. So it's a believable story. And I really like that they that they brought that up. Of uh, Like, I like that idea that he was ambitious and that because mm-hmm. he was ambitious, he worked really hard on making himself have this kind of like really proper accent so that people would take him seriously because it's true people do listen to different accents differently absolutely um, if you especially speak- in any kind of academia sure. or yeah people tell me all the time that i don't sound like i'm from long island and i don't and honestly it shouldn't be but it is a point of pride for me because mm. i don't like the, i don't like the long island accent yeah and it does there is a stereotype of a person who has that accent and I mean, less so now, but I was always like, thank you when people <laughs> would tell me you don't sound like you're from Long Island. It's pretty wild. Mm. So guys is specifically from Cuddle's Breath Wash <laughs> on Aralon. It'll, it is also interesting that uh, James Callis is English and has his like regular English accent on the show because he was trying to be Capricorn, but everyone from Capricorn, Capricorn has an American accent. I know. I was thinking that too. Uh, you can kind of pick that apart. I don't think it's necessary. Also, no. these are all whole planets. So, mm. oh, that you imagine that there's like a particular kind of Capricorn that speaks right. with a British accent, like a European Capricorn versus an American Capricorn. Yeah, yeah. But still, I I thought that too. It's quite funny. Yeah, he makes a really good point at the end of this scene where he's like, "Do you think this fleet will ever be commanded by somebody whose last name is not Adama?" Mm. Which is apparently something that's written in the book. And this is another case of a a terrible person. I have written down as well. I was like, again, he's a dick, but I agree with him. He's making some (laughs) great points. He's just making them to be the self-serving asshole that he always is. Yes. Yeah. He he's like, oh, the the aristocracy are nothing like the rest of us. It's like you were part of the aristocracy until two days ago. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. Oh my god! But there are so many people. Like, this is one of my big gripes is like, and it happens so often where you get people who are like scathing about privilege and then they are the same people who like have a trust fund Mm -hmm. and are completely benefiting from the system. And they'll be like, I work hard. I work for everything I have. No, but then, but it's, it's not like, I don't care if you're not someone who is going to completely dismiss, just be like, oh, you like... For example, dismissing someone because they're a white man, despite whatever their class or situation is, because of privilege and then not recognizing that you yourself have a trust fund, even if you are a person of color or someone who's queer or a woman, is a bit ridiculous. It's like, it's not intersectional. And I think that this is kind of reminds me a bit of that. Interesting. Do you get what I'm saying? I do, yeah. But I find that most of the people griping about privilege are white men. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, them too. I don't see a lot of people of color, queer people of color with trust funds going around 
saying oh really yeah i don't know (laughs) i do interesting (laughs) um and i mean i don't think you i think the point is nobody should just be full out dismissed but you have to understand even if you're white and poor there's very there's certain kinds of privilege that you have that like even a wealthy person of color does not have yes i would argue that a wealthy person of color has more access to opportunity than a poor white person, but a poor white person probably has a lot better time walking down the street or like in just general situations. And that's the point is it's never like, but you can't, you can't just rank people in terms of privilege because there's so many levels. But that's my point is that I don't think you can, but I think that sometimes there's a very reductive argument made that frustrates the shit out of me when people don't people have certain characteristics that would be deemed unprivileged and then are scathing and not don't consider the full picture when it comes to the things that make them or support systems of oppression because it suits them being mm. someone who's wealthy without actually taking a step back and saying, oh, is this actually helping or is this actually reinforcing privilege as well? Yeah, I think when a system is working for you, it's mm-hmm. really hard to fight against it. For sure. Yeah. Anyway. All right. But the system is not working for Gaius Baltar right now. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not. Well, he shouldn't He shouldn't uh, maybe uh, allowed all that genocide to happen. You know... It'll come back to bite you in the ass, won't mm. it? Mm-hmm. So we've got the Tilium flowing. Uh, there's new workers on board who are like skittish, but getting the hang of it. And then there's a jam and they can't shut off the machine because science. This is a ridiculous, ridiculous <laughs> plot line. That makes no sense. Why would you not be able to turn off a jammed machine? I don't know. There's no, that's so, such a poor design. It's so (laughs) stupid. I was just Well, that's what they've been saying. Yeah. The ship is not well designed. I know, but it's just, it's a bit far. It needs to be overhauled. It's a bit of a far stretch for me, to be honest. It is. And the whole thing is, it's also in addition to being a bit of a stretch, this dialogue, if you just read it on the page, just give it a yank. Got some hot rocks up there. boy, pull hard. Like it's very. <laughs> Is that an erotic novel? I think I think we might have just written our first erotic novel. Amazing. Yeah. So uh, little not a farmer. Danny Noon. He's doing his like, best though. I respect my, him. My, my tiny little fragile hands. Fragile little hands can probably squeeze in there. But I also, I respect him for I this. totally do. Yeah, he's it's like, his first day and he's like, I can help. I know I'm small. I can probably do this. Great. Um, but where was Milo? Because I feel like Milo, Milo. I think Milo knew that's a dangerous job. I want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Milo. <laughs> Sneaky or Maybe Milo has giant man hands. Maybe. That would be really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> he successfully unjams the jam uh, and pulls his arm out and his arm kind of like half falls off. <laughs> it's really disturbing and I hate looking at it. Yeah. There's like bone sticking out, I think. Celix is there trying to stop the bleeding. And somebody keeps telling him like, it's okay. You did a good job. And like, I don't think that's the concern right now. Nope. Uh, <laughs> I also feel like, so then there's this weird thing where like everybody's just looking at Tyrrell mm-hmm. seriously in a line. And this is where we get another new, yeah. new music theme for it's Galactica. It's the Firefly music. It's like, ding, ding. It's Firefly music. It's, I text you about it. You didn't. I did. I don't remember. I text you and I was like, why does the music like Firefly? <laughs> it is. It's oh. a very like Western theme, which Firefly is, a is. Western in space. It so is. Yes. 
it, it gets the music gets really Firefly, and I it cannot be a mistake because Ronald D. Moore is a fan of Firefly. He called out to it in the first miniseries. I think that's possible, but also Firefly just used like very Western folksy kind of music, which is a whole genre. So I know, but maybe. I just I just felt like maybe in some way like right. it was a. I'll give it to you. I don't know because they use it every time. Every time Tyrrell's like having this common man moment, <laughs> it's like then all of a sudden it's like. Take my love, take my land, take me where I cannot stand, you know? Um, I know, I'm with you. Oh my God, I, I was love enjoying it. the That's theme, a great song theme song for Firefly. I used to have it as my alarm in the morning because I just thought it was such a good like way to wake <laughs> up. It's a great song. All right. Maybe a little nod to Firefly there. Mm-hmm. Chief shuts the machines down and he says, we're on strike and everybody cheers. And then the music gets Firefly like again. It does and amps up. So these fancy highfalutin pilots are mad. They want to get on their ships. Mm. It's Starbuck and Racetrack and I don't remember who comes storming in. And Pollux is there. Yeah, she is. She's great. They come storming in wanting to know why they can't fly. And they're told, oh, it's vital missions only. Uh, we're on strike. We're on strike. And Pollux has like such a Callie nice relayed the smile. orders from Chief. Mm. We hear about. We don't even get to see Callie telling the workers to strike. No. <laughs> we only get to hear about it third hand. Mm-hmm. Chief is immediately in the brig. Adama visits and he's like, did you know your people are engaged in a work stoppage? And Chief's like, it's called a strike. Yes. And also this <laughs> is when Adama keeps saying deck gang but i thought he said dick gang and i was very i just laughed a lot we've both got pervy ears we do mm-hmm. it sounds it, but it does it sounds like dick gang and i was like oh tyrell's got a dick gang <laughs> a gang of, a gang of dicks or yeah. like a gang on a dick no 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 a gang of dicks nice all right i don't think pollux is a dick no oh goodness that person wanted to share their music with the world did you enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> They didn't know it would be captured in audio format forever and ever. <laughs> Adama is like, well, you're a mutineer and we shoot mutineers and we also shoot their wives. <laughs> <laughs> and again, like in my notes when I watched this initially, I was like, I am so annoyed that Callie's being held responsible. But Which just seemed to me mm. not like Callie's being held responsible, but like they needed to motivate Chief to call off this. So strike. they're like, we'll kill your wife. Yeah, I think yeah. Chief, if they were like, we're going to shoot you, he would have been like, do it. And he would have been too proud. But I think Adama... I mean, in this version of the episode, it almost like, well, this is a thing that Chief will back down from. Yeah, it's shit. It's shit. And it's very like Kane. It's a very Kane move. Mm. uh, Like very something we would have seen in Pegasus slash Razor. Yeah. And Uh, Ronald D. Moore believes believes Adama would have shot Callie. He would have gone through with it. Well, given that Ronald D. Moore is the showrunner, I tend to believe his opinions Mm. on what Adama would do. Fair. But maybe maybe Edward James almost would have had something to say about it. <laughs> well, you know the, how these actors on this show like Oh, to, goodness. So many opinions. To run things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was like, this is the military and you can't have a union in the military. And Adama would have hated himself and he would have cried about it, but he would have done it. Can't have an, a union in the military or in Amazon. Oh, is that a thing? 
Yeah, they don't they don't allow unions. A lot of places don't. That and was he one was of talking, the New York City things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Ronald E. Moore was talking a lot about how unions are kind of looked down upon in this day and age. And he's like, This was what, two thousand seven? And anytime I hear anybody talking about this political climate in like the mid two thousands, I'm like, Oh, you sweet summer child. <laughs> oh, honey, sweetie love. <laughs> Just jump ahead a decade. Let's see where we are. Um, oh, frick. Yes, I can. I can attest to that. So when I kind of started my uh, career, I was working well uh, to help start a nonprofit for unpaid work and intern rights. And we, uh, I was running a communication strategy, and we didn't necessarily speak out against unions, but we did definitely keep a little bit of a distance from the unions just kind of I mean that's not the case with the organization now but just like developing the strategy one of the reasons I think we were successful is because we actually work with a lot of small businesses or like academia on the research or like on actually making sure that people weren't employing unpaid workers and and actually kind of appealing to businesses about why that was bad and we have quite a decent minimum wage in Australia and an interesting setup where younger people actually get paid less, a lower minimum wage, which incentivizes businesses to um, employ young people. So rather than a you know, 15-year-old being competing with a 21-year-old for a same wage, it's like, of course, you're going to hire a 21-year-old. We make younger people cheaper so that work, uh, so that workplaces are training up young people to have work skills. Very interesting. Yeah. And so I was really involved in this space and unions definitely have a really bad name, but I think they're incredibly important because like working in that space, like uh, we, uh, the other thing we have, the other place we work with quite closely was the Fair Work Ombudsman who would go and make sure that businesses weren't involved in these kind of practices like you'd get law firms who had like 20 unpaid interns and no staff Mm -hmm. um which like it's just have you met most interns they're exhausting i just don't think it's worth it just pay someone it's just like most of the time the quality of the work's going to be better and they're going to be a much you get what you pay for people exactly but i think that yeah it's it's interesting to see like the reason we started the organization is on an individual basis people just don't have that much room to negotiate when their livelihood is at stake so I think unions are overall a very good thing. And yes, Jeff Bezos does not like them at all. Jeff Bezos does not. Ronald D. Moore thinks they're very important. And it was so interesting. We just got the feedback last week from listener Lisa, who was like, uh, Ronald D. Moore's style is all about asking the question. Like mm. the important thing is asking the question, not necessarily providing the answer. And he specifically talked about his process in this in this podcast and was like, <laughs> This episode kind of goes against my personal beliefs and my personal style about what I want this show to be because we definitely provided an answer. Mm. Unions are good. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just this one time, though. It's the exception, not the rule. It was just it was a perfectly timed little uh, (laughs) moment. So, of course, Terrell Caves uh, lies to Callie, said, yeah, 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 I got the I got it under control. You can call off the strike. And then Adama immediately is like, Go have your sit down with the president, like mm. which I think he was not against the plight of these people this whole time. He's just against people like mutinying in the military. Mutinying? Mut- mm. Mutinying? Mutineering? Mutineering? I'm not sure what the verb form of that <laughs> is. So he has another sit down with the prez who is getting him a little liquored up. And they talk 
a lot about people's skills are really dependent on where they're born. So yeah. you can't only base like jobs in the fleet by what skills people have, especially because they have no idea how long they're going to be on the run for. Mm. And presumably, if they find some place to lay their weary heads, they're going to carry over the same kind of government systems mm. that are they're currently using like on the ships. Yeah, so he's like, hey, maybe some people from Colonial One could go, like, pick up a rack yeah, <laughs> clean something. Which is great. Yeah, yeah. And Rosalind's into it. And she's the one who's like, oh, yeah, the union's going to have to cave on this. Aren't you negotiating right now for the Colonial Workers Alliance? Yeah, Isn't I love that. Isn't that what you're doing? Yeah. I love what she says here. I wrote it down um, because I thought it was great. Yeah. Do you read want me it. to read it? I want to read You know I how I love it. to read things on the page. Uh, and if this society becomes truly polarized between an entrenched political class and a disenfranchised underclass, we are all doomed. We won't need the silence to destroy us. We will destroy ourselves. But do you think she's quoting Baltar's book there? I don't know. Is she? I think she is. That's I think the thing about the disenfranchised underclass is pulled right from the pages of the book. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. That's great. But yeah, she's. I mean, either way, I don't care. It's where a lot it's nicer com coming out of her mouth. So lots of things. Right. Um, no, I did. I really liked it. I I think it's really true. I think there's a lot that we can take from that for the way that the world is structured now. And yes, I tried to draw like the two hands up emoji but i spectacularly failed i can't draw i think it's beautiful great yeah it's been like the last two episodes uh have had kind of a theme of like we don't need the cylons to destroy us we can destroy ourselves for sure yeah and yeah. Rosalind's i doing her part after a little convincing to fight against that but that was the whole thing that came out about the September 11 and the response to that is like so much of the obviously the actual um, September 11 attacks were really horrible and a very tragic thing to happen and it's not to negate the trauma of that incident but a lot of the aftermath of that incident um, in the way that America responded and put all this money into funding overseas wars and everything is 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 actually like a kind of a similar kind of takeaway from that rather than um any particular like they they conducted this one attack obviously but then over time really most of our threats our america i just called myself i just included myself in america most of the threats one to america <laughs> most of the threats to america um domestically have been from inside mm -hmm. like most even uh, incidences of islamic terrorism are from people who were born in america so and um, also i think as we've previously discussed white nationalism right now is the biggest threat i think domestically a hundred percent and even just like i i think i did even write a medium post i'm not sure if it's still up at some point about the breakdown of i think it was when trump was going on about um immigrants being terrorists which is just like statistically incredibly untrue mm -hmm. and yeah i think it, uh despite obviously the fact that september 11 as an incident was horrible most of the flow and effects from that that have been happening in america since then have been a result of internal policies yeah or policies towards other countries and not focusing in on here and things like education and healthcare and overcoming inequality and we're not running from our lives from space robots so what's our excuse <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh before we get to 
what I think is the best scene of this episode. Oh, um, you mean the scene that is just basically like your version of a porno is what I, I, I've written a note. It's like, I imagine that this is just some kind of fantasy for Kaylee. Yeah, we'll talk about it in a minute. Uh, <laughs> I just want to mention one of the wiki artic- like articles about this episode um, had a quote from Aaron Douglas speaking about like this was the first time he had worked one-on-one with Mary McDonnell and they had a couple scenes together. So he was like, they, we shot for like four or five hours, said it was the most spectacular moment of his acting career and that she was just like such a wonderful, warm, like giving actor and such a good human. And oh it was my goodness, like, that's right? so beautiful. My heart feels warm. Ugh. That's adorable. Yeah. I, like I love the respect that he gives her. And I also just love like how, everyone who works with her just talks about how incredible and giving she is. And they say the same thing about her dreams almost. And that's, that's so why lovely. they're the best space parents. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And so then St- we have Starbuck has a lost nugget calls, calls out for Diana Celix. I think that this is adorable because obviously Terrell and Starbuck were like, you know what we should do? Yeah. This will be hilarious. Of course they were. It was, that's just the most that's the cutest thing that they were just like, this is going to be so great. Yeah. We're totally going to take her by surprise. Because Chief's got the wings yeah, to yeah. pen right on her. <laughs> so You're out it. of uniform. Uh, he's like, you oh. know that only officers can fly It's adorable. Vipers. It's so adorable. He gets the whole deck crew to salute her. Yeah. And she's just like so proud. And Starbuck is... A drill sergeant of my dreams. Yes. <laughs> problematic. <laughs> problematic. But well, what I understood it this time when it happened, I was like, oh, that's going to be Kaylee's jam for sure. Especially because Celix is also involved. And Celix is also t- enjoying the crap out of it. Like She's she looks nervous. So but much. yeah, when Starbuck finally sends her off. Um, Biggest smile ever. It's, it's so beautiful. precious and it it's like so heartwarming and adorable and sweet and also really fucking hot. Yeah. Yeah. Starbuck, you can tell me what to do any day. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's it. It is. We did it. We did. Tell me about numbers. Ten fracks. Three from Chief. Two from Zeno Fenner. One each from Cabot, Celix, Skulls, Starbuck, and Adama. And we get just the tiniest little glimpse of head six. And that's the only Cylon in this episode. Wow. Right. Just one. one and she's barely there. Number. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Thank well, you. Thanks so much. Yeah. Um, Please continue sending us your audio feedback. We, uh, we love it. And it's great. We love it having your voices up here. It's yeah, so nice. And you hear our stupid voices every week, but we don't know what you sound like. Yeah. So please sound at us <laughs> that's how that works that's how that works that's english language uh you can also follow us on twitter at beers beats bsg uh you can support us on patreon which is lovely we like that uh you get special bonuses sometimes yeah we have a possible bonus episode in the works that we drunkenly discussed last night. Oh, did we? Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, possible bonus episodes that I don't remember. And yeah, that's that's all the things from us. We are going to go on a 
two week break till the next one because mm-hmm. as we mentioned Kaylee is traveling have to wait for maelstrom yes including me <laughs> <laughs> because i feel like this is going to be one of those episodes where i'm going to want to watch the next one quite soon after can confirm yeah that sucks uh so yes unfortunately uh i'm starting a new job kaylee's going to be away we are going to take off a week and we will see you in two weeks time gives you plenty of time to send us through some clips about maelstrom or this episode of the podcast or anything your little hearts desire you know what just tell us about your life just talk to us (laughs) we're lonely (laughs) bye